Welcome back, Manifestors, to an extra special episode of Manifest Destiny. Why, you might ask? Because we have our second ever guest. Blair, tell us about our guest. Today's guest is extra exciting because we have a love story that's not unlike many others. We, we met at a wedding. <laughs> we oh, fell in love at a wedding. We met before. Um, but so joining time. us here today is one of my best friends, Grace's brother, Gibson, longtime manifester, Soon and to in, be my best friend, independent of you. Can't soon wait. to be my best, Rebecca's best friend. And we're all just amped up over here. Like I am, Gibson and I have been, I am not exaggerating DMing about this since October. <laughs> like the, the vibe is high. The air is electric. He's going to teach us about Stonewall, which is wow. obviously so important. And I just went there two weekends ago. So I feel like I can really add... <laughs> to it in an obnoxious way maybe wait Blair do you live in New York I, no Gibson is wow. clearly a people are coming for me I'm literally <laughs> freaking out well it was funny because Rebecca's like oh I checked out Gibson's Insta it's like so fun and wholesome like so he's so cute I was like I, what I said whole- was like oh my god Gibson's so hot that's what I said all cop to it oh my god well, wow like, I mean, if you know well, any single eligible young man I mean I, I mean this do. is the platform we know people in Malaysia we know we have listeners in Romania we have a very small but loyal German base <laughs> look if, if it, it means they're history fans they understand good comedy I mean exactly. I, it would be a perfect match it's I think we, we'd be remiss if you didn't have a boyfriend by the end of this episode. By the end of this episode, by the end of the recording. That is gay rights. Yes, yeah, that's, gay that's rights. on gay rights. Exactly. Um, okay, so so meanwhile, we are facing a crisis in this nation insofar as it is, today is my birthday eve, and tomorrow I begin a journey I've never been on before of you know, being in the threes. I can't even say it. Like, I can't even say how old I'm turning. Like, it's so dark. Yeah. Um, but I'm fine. having like an existential spiral, the likes of which, <laughs> no, I couldn't have even anticipated I'm the most dramatic person in the world. Like the first person that said happy birthday to me, burst into tears. And, and someone's like, what do you think is going to happen when you turn 30? And I was like, I don't know. I think your <laughs> egg starts screaming out at a really low level. <laughs> They're rotting. They, they, whatever. You know what? You it's are fine. a psycho. We can cut all that out. The only problem with turning 30 is like literally two days after I turned 30, my knees were gone. My knees, bad. <laughs> Lower back, not so great either. But it was oh. the knees. I'll tell you right away, just like immediate side effect of being 30. So kiss those knees goodbye. Your running days through the streets of New York, footloose and fancy free are over. Well, I literally took a half day today and was like, oh, like treat yourself, birthday Eve. I'm going to do fun stuff. And like, I decided to get a mani-pedi. Of course. But I forgot that I, I never get them because I hate getting them. And I yeah, have- You don't like your feet touched, as I recall. I don't like my, it's not even my feet touched, but it's also like, I, you know me, I like, I can't not move my hands for 30 minutes. Like that's yeah, the hardest that's part. True. I'm like, who is enjoying this? And it's like, we're so programmed. Like I'm a female pleasure unit to celebrate. I must get a mani-pedi. It's like, no, wow. I'm never getting another. So then immediately after I get the Manny Petty, the whole time I'm sitting there being like, I hate this, not to mention, thanks to Gibson's sister, Grace, I am can give myself a world-class professional grade manicure by myself. Yeah, for, I mean, you can give yourself a mean Manny. I didn't realize free. Grace was to thank. 
you know, Grace, Grace was a big part of that. <laughs> and, um, but so anyway, so I'm like, oh, then I'll go to this workout class. My roommate say gives you abs in two classes. And when I say it was the hardest thing I've ever done, <laughs> like I have run four marathons and it was, it was not as hard. I mean, maybe, you know, the body forgets pain, but I was like, I'm going to kill myself. Like this is, this is my last boutique fitness class of my twenties. And I'm, I'm spending it here crying. Are you trying to just flex on the manifestors by telling everyone that you've run four marathons? Cause that's really what this whole story seems like to me. I think that maybe. people should know. I, I think it's an important part <laughs> if of your journey. How we, your if this is how we come around to that information, then that's fine. But I will just say for hot girl summer. Yeah, I'm, I'm, Me too, honestly. Hot this, girl is, this is happening. It's We've been talking about it. We're ready for it. Well, we've been stuck inside for so long that I'm ready to get out, meet and mingle. I am just yep. so single. <laughs> okay, this is the perfect, perfect transition to why I'm doing the idea I'm doing today. I'm going to be doing Sally Hemmings because I went to my first ever Vax and Wax summer 21 party. Oh my God. Tons of people I didn't know. I'm not exaggerating. It was probably like 40 people. And it was like pouring rain. That's too many. Inside. I was like, yeah. <laughs> like at the beginning, I was having fun. And then it just like reached a tipping point. I was like, there's too many goddamn people in this yeah. room. Like only way to get through this. But so anyway, so I'm like sitting there, don't really know anyone. Like I knew a couple people, but I'm kind of sitting there alone have been drinking for several hours and there's like a lazy Susan in front of me. Love it. And I'm like, and someone's like, Oh, spin that to me. And I was like, Oh yeah, I love lazy Susans. And they were like, me too. I was like, did you know that Thomas Jefferson invented the lazy Susan? And I, and they were like, like, this is how I party. This is how long it's been since I've been to a party that I'm like, you did this no, before no, the no, pandemic. No, no. Get out of here. Yeah, 30 just, going on 70. Yeah. yeah it's like, come I don't on. know. I don't know if like, that's like, I'm like, is this because of the pandemic? Have I always been like this? Am I just going to become more like this? I don't know. Either way. So then I'm like, and they were like, really? Why'd he name it the lazy Susan? Side note to all manifestors. He originally named it a dumbwaiter. And over time it changed the name to lazy Susan. But anyway, so I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe he named it after one of the slaves that he raped. (laughs) And people were like, what? (laughs) Again, can I stress this? Know your history. Know your history. And then I was kind of like, you know, like Sally Hemings. And I was with, you know. Educated people. people educated people, know. I presume. I don't know them that well, but definitely people that should know about Sally Hemings. And no one knew what I was talking about at all. Wow. And they're like, yeah, they didn't talk about that in my high school. Wow. I'm like, well, it would be a really weird use of like, whatever. So, so Blair's my, here to tell you about it today. So I'm here to tell you about Sally Hemings. And I just want to start by saying this is like a difficult thing for me because I love Thomas Jefferson so much. And, you know, I've been to his house in Monticello multiple times. Who hasn't? Truly. Well, well, one of my favorite fun facts is that, you know, of the big three Virginian presidents, like Thomas, like one of my ex-boyfriends brought me to Mount Vernon to see George Washington. Like- You were the whitest person. It was my Christmas present. We went to like George, like Mount Vernon at night. And then with my other boyfriend, we went to Monticello. And I'm always like, I know that my soulmate's going to take me to James Madison's plantation someday, but it hasn't happened yet. (laughs) Um, I mean, just, you know, for historical reference. So anyway, (laughs) so I've been to Monticello and they, they say all this amazing stuff just to give everybody, you know, a little bit of background on TJ, if you don't already know, before we really get into it. Um, he was our third president. He became president in 1800. Um, 
or sorry, 1804. And he was a deist. So he believed that God created the earth and abandoned it. He was not this religious founding father that people make him out to be like, he was very much like kind of believed in the separation of church and state was like kind of the original libertarian, like very much about decentralized government, etc. Um, and he was, he did so much to like expand democracy during his time, but it's like, yeah, no, like he had slaves and he had six children with one of his slaves. So that's what we're about to get into. Um, so at Monticello, like he has so many, and he's like, also like my favorite fact about him is like Monticello became a museum, like almost before he died because he was literally so broke because he spent all of his money on wine and books and like at the end of his life he was just sent that's why I was literally like this man is my idol like this is my future and like in Mount Vernon there's this really sad thing where he like writes or Mount Monticello he like writes a letter to John Adams because he has to sell all of his books when he's getting like old and ailing and be like and he writes John Adams saying, you know, a room without books is like a body without a soul. Yeah. And he's alone on Monticello. So, you know, so I'm saying all that to say, I mean, he invented the lazy Susan for Christ's sake. He invented mac and cheese. He invented mac and cheese. Wait, wait, what? Don't bury the lead. I don't, I don't you know, know the background. That's what they tell you on the tour at Monticello that they, that he was like in Italy and he was like eating pasta and he was like, you know, it would be absolutely dank with this. And, and then like came back, he at least brought the concept of mac and cheese back to America. That's wild. Like he was literally like put cheese on your pasta if you can afford pasta, which you probably can't. So anyway, um, so something about Monticello is that all of the infographics there where they're like showing pictures against stuff of like people working in the fields and like the house and everything all of them are kind of like put in this very like ambivalent way like the race that they're showing is like it's like very like they're kind of dark skin kind of light skin like it's very kind of weird because in Monticello they don't really talk about Sally Hemings they don't talk about any of this stuff but it is very much implied like the artist that did like the designs and stuff like very much wanted you to have it in your head that there were literal black people that were walking around that were were you know descended from him that were working his land and property so um so that's crazy um so basically that's enough about tj i am just going to stop that right now because what i really want to focus on is sally hemmings who was um she's widely accepted to be the father of six of his children and something that they say on, um, on the Monticello website is that she's one of the most famous women in history, but she's also one of the least known people in history because she, it's unknown if she could read or write, but she definitely didn't leave any letters behind. Basically everything we know about it is from her, her daughter's by or her son's biography. Um, um, but anyway, it's widely accepted by historians that Thomas Jefferson is the father of her six children. Um, so let's get into that a little bit. So she was born in 1773 um, into slavery and her master was also her father. So this is like, she's already pretty much, she's more white than she is descended of African descent. Like she is like, that is how intermixed and how much miscegenation had come to Virginia and to these plantations specifically was that she, she could pass for white. Like it's said by many people, like she was an extremely beautiful woman. Like, and it also said that her children were seven eighths of European descent. So I guess that would make her only a quarter black. 
not a math gal, not a math gal, but I think that that's worth, that's worth saying because, um, so basically just because her mother was a slave, even though her, her dad was a white landowning slave owner, um, she was born a slave. And so basically John Hemmings was an English sea captain who takes his name and basically, um, John Hemmings tries to purchase like Sally's and her brothers and sisters and his mom, but it doesn't work out. Um, so eventually they're in here. There's a lot by- of Robert Smalls parallels here. Like Robert Smalls was also like, Oh yeah. I mean, alleged. it just shows you how common miscegenation was and how like widely accepted it was like, it's just wild to even like approach, like even thinking about, but so basically John Hemmings refused to get him or, or sorry, tries to purchase them. Cause she's like, that's my wife. And but like, that's the mother of my children. Um, so basically Martha Epps ends up inheriting them. Um, and Martha Epps later, um, becomes Martha Wash, Martha Jefferson. So she marries Thomas Jefferson. And when her parents die, they inherit, um, all of the Hemings children. I think there's like six or seven of them. Basically all I want to really put out there here is that the like legacy of her mother was already a concubine to a white man to a slave master is a very disturbing but also b shows you like how ingrained this was in life and i also want to point out that and i don't want to talk about thomas too much but like it was widely known during his presidency like especially when he was running for president that this that like it was you know heavily rumored and like visitors had gone and said he has a concubine he has children with her um, so it did not, de- did not deter people from voting for him. And it definitely didn't like lessen him in the estimation of the public at all. Like, like I don't want to jump the gun, but like, were they in love at least? Like, was there like genuine affection here? Well, or was that's just, like, that's the thing? central like, question. Yeah. That's the central question that we just don't know. So um, we don't have the answers. This is an unsolved mystery. We, we, it's kind of an unsolved mystery, but we'll get to it. There's, there's evidence for both things. So yeah. basically, okay. Wow. okay so Basically, Sally is born in 1773, um, et cetera, et cetera. So her and her siblings all grew up on Monticello, um, which is Jefferson's home. Back up before you go any farther. Like you got to tell the manifestors the birth dates of these two people. It seems critical to the story. Well, we don't know Sally Hemings' birthday. What about T. Jeff? (laughs) Because unfortunately she, it says around 1773, T. J. was an Aries classic airy situation like very fiery very decisive and also a lot of the founding fathers are aries because you know they're the signs of initiation they're really into starting their own thing right um and they're very nurturing but only when they're in control but okay. also I'd, I'd go as far as to venture i don't i don't have thomas jefferson's whole chart in front of me but i know in my heart that there's a lot of air in there like he's just such an intellectual and like was like so fed by ideas and like that was what really guided him like it I would put money on him having at least like a, an air sign rising I mean, or he hit a treasure map on the back of the declaration of independence so <laughs> he hid a treasure map on the, yeah exactly that this is, is important who, stuff like this that is, is chaotic that is Aries energy though that's like chaotic evil is what Aries are um so anyway so basically they all grow up in Monticello, which was Jefferson's home. Um, and she's very, very young. And then just when Thomas Jefferson is 39, his wife dies, he is a widower. 
Um, and so that's like 1780, I want to say. And in 1784, Thomas Jefferson becomes the envoy to France, like the official ambassador. And he has to bring a whole household over there. He has to decide like which of his kids he wants to bring. Um, and enslaved teenager, Sally Hemings, who was chosen to accompany Polly to France after um, the person that was supposed to come with her was not, Polly's his daughter. Um, so when this trip, when they first get to France, Sally is 14 and Thomas Jefferson is 44 years old. <laughs> so like, as much as you can say, maybe they were in love, like that's, I'm not down with that. Like that's super disturbing. And also like, you've been to Monticello, it's like very tight quarters. Like they were, and, and the other thing is that the, the, um, the Hemingses were um, like the domestic workers, like kind of the higher up ones. Like they were never in the fields. They were always like artisans, like, you know, the shoe people or like in the house serving the lords and ladies, etc. cetera. Um, not lords and ladies. It's a new world, baby, but we still have slavery. <laughs> anyway, so, um, so she goes to, she goes to France with him and most historians believe that their sexual relationship began while they were in France. They were there for about two years, like 26, 26 months or soon after their return to Monticello. But the insane thing is that this is post-revolution France. So slavery was completely abolished. Sally was living there as a free woman. And like Thomas Jefferson was paying her like some very small amount, like $2 a month type of thing. Like, and not even $2 a month, like in that time, like $2 a month, like for today's inflation. <laughs> like it, it was an insultingly low amount of money, but like still she had her freedom and she could have decided to stay um, is basically what they're saying. So she's in France for 26 months um, and her brother was also with her and he was like being trained to become like a French chef that they could like bring back so that Jefferson could bring back to America and like make food for him basically too. So she's there with her brother and she pays James, her brother, $4 a month as a chef in training. Um, and she, so most French servants were earned about eight or $12, eight to $12 a month. And she's making $2 a month. So basically James uses his money to learn, to pay for a French tutor, to learn the language. And Sally's also learning French and she, you know, she's a wow. teenager. So she's like an educated worldly person. Like she's, she's learning French from her brother. Her brother's going to be a French chef. And she's like, you know, in France, in the heart of the post-revolution, like what an yeah. exciting time. So there's. They spent weekends at like, no one really knows where she stayed during the week, but like she did go to his villa every weekend, like Jefferson's villa. Um, and he also, it's like, there's records of him purchasing fine clothing for Hemings, um, which suggests that she was accompanying his daughter to formal events, but also like, were they gifts? Like what was the nature right. of their relationship? It was definitely sexual, but like, was it love? Was it rape? Like very dark, murky stuff. Um, so basically- she becomes pregnant in Paris and she's about 16 at the time. So under French law, Sally and James could have petitioned for their freedom. Um, but if she returns to Virginia with Jefferson, she would be as a slave. So she ultimately, and this is where it gets crazy, agreed to return to him, to turn with him to the United States based on his promise to free her children when they came of age at 21. So it's like something's going on there. Like, it's like, yes, she has her mother, her siblings, her extended family are all at Monticello, like her whole like family tree. So that might've drawn her back, but it's also like, what would make you walk away from freedom? Like, or like, was he coercing her again? We don't know. 
So um, in 1789, they come back to the United States and at, like Jefferson is 46 now and seven years a widower. So basically um, it was just like, like his father-in-law, like frequently had sexual relations with enslaved women. It wasn't that unusual. Like white society expected these men to, to do this, but they also expected them to be discreet and not really talk about it. Um, but according to Sally's son, Madison, Sally's first child died right after she returned from Paris, which is obviously really oh, sad. Devastating. Um, but anyway, so she ends up having six children. Four of them survived to adulthood. Um, I just want to say their names because I feel like it's important, but some of them aren't even know. So there's Harriet Hemings, William Beverly Hemings, um, who ended up going by Hemings, um, a daughter possibly named Thidia, and another Harriet Hemings, which I actually feel like when you study revolutionary era history happens a lot. Like if you have a kid that dies when it's little, they're like, we like the name. We honestly, we still like the name. It's fine. We're using it again. It's same set, same generation, which is dark, worth, worth looking into, but whatever. I kind of get it. Um, and Eston Hemings. So, and this is where, and this is how you know that. Yeah. It sounds like a filmmaker. I like it a lot. No, Eston Hemings. But it's also believed that his, that might've been his middle name and his first name might've been Thomas. (laughs) So a little bit of a red flag, like, but again, like wild. And so Thomas, when he was like, you know, keeping the up, the Monticello estate, estate, and like obviously, you know, it's thousands of acres, hundreds of slaves. He had about like hundred. He inherited 150 slaves, and he also inherited like he already had like a hundred. So whatever, hundreds of enslaved people on his property, and he would keep track of them because they were his property, which is sickening. Like every time there was a birth, because he'd get a new slave and be like sick. Jesus Christ. Um, so he had a practice, he had a thing called a farm book where he would record births of, of all the other slaves and he would like note the father. And with all of Sally's children, he just like wrote their names. Nothing he was next the father. to father. Because he's like, he I don't us. need to write that down. Yeah. I know because they've got my eyes and they're spunky. Like we don't know. Um, um, so ner- so uh, Sally was like, quote unquote, nursemaid, chambermaid, companion to various women. So it's very much like implied, like these are titles that you give to someone. Like it is the light work. It's kind of like the sought after work that like the most favored slaves get. Um, and while the children were young, while her children were young, they they were permitted to stay in the great house um, and only had to do light work such as going on errands. So they weren't really treated as slaves, even though they were technically Jefferson's property. And then at the age of 14, each of the children began their training for like a, to, to like have a marketable skill basically, which a lot of slaves don't get. Um, one of them became a master of carpentry. Um, one of the girls became a spinner and a weaver. And then this is where you're really like, okay, Thomas Jefferson, are you serious? <laughs> All three boys were taught to play the violin. Oh, like, it's like, you don't just teach your slaves how to play violin if you're not their dad. Like the fact that people, like literally there's huge groups of people. It's called like the controversy, even though there's pretty definitive evidence from 1998 that like their DNA is the same. Um, there's still people that are like, no, it's, it's, it was just a coincidence. Um, and so one of, so in 1822, one of the, one of the kids quote unquote runs away from Monticello, but like wasn't pursued. And then another, a couple years later, one of the kids, Harriet runs away. And it's like, wasn't pursued. So it's like, kind of like there was tacit permission, 
Um, and it said that for Harriet, the overseer of all the slaves gave her $50 and put her on a stagecoach to the North, like to join her brother. Um, so basically it was just very openly, like these kids were getting favors. These kids were being treated like, but they also maybe- knew they were slaves clearly. And that they ran away. Like this wasn't like that cushy. Like they were still like, no, no, no. Up. I mean, their, their quote unquote running away was like them literally walking off the property whenever that like, just, okay. it was literally like, kind of like they, they were moving were, away and they were being freed without officially being right. freed okay. type of thing. Yep. Yeah. So, like literally the overseer gave Harriet 50 bucks, which now in us dollars is like more than a thousand dollars to be like, have a nice life. Like it wasn't like, Oh, like get the dogs out. We're going to like hunt them down. So anyway, so Jefferson's will, he is the only family unit of slaves. He frees are the remaining Hemings children that were still on Monticello and their seventh, eighth U- European and ancestry. And three of the four that left, that survived and left, entered society after gaining their freedom as whites. Like they just straight up decided to like live as white people. Um, and their their descendants identified as white. And he also, in his will, he was like, oh, I want to start a petition so that my kids, not saying his kids, that the Hemingses can stay in Virginia, even though it's a slave state. So um, Sally herself was never actually officially emancipated, but they she just like left. Like after Jefferson died, she was just like, goodbye. Um, and her kids were gone. So basically really crazy stuff. Um, and let me see, she's near like people, and it's especially like disturbing how much the children are described as like essentially passing white. Um, and they did go on to pass and, and they like moved to like the Washington DC area and were fine. Um, he also, so he, Harriet's grandchildren. So Thomas Jefferson's grandchildren end up fighting for the union in the civil war. So like, take that. And eventually um, Jefferson inherits his great wealth, but he's bankrupt by the time he dies and his entire estate, including most of his slaves were sold like piecemeal by his daughter, Martha to repay his debts. So very sad ending, like not no, kind of, no, sorry. Happy ending disturbing ending for the Jeffersons, but it's like the Hemings has got out and yeah. they like lived their life and they had, they had applicable skills. Like they were trained in crafts in order yeah. to like participate in white society. But yeah, I mean, Thomas Jefferson is like DL a huge asshole at the very fucking least because he at, never at the very least at the very least. Like, and again, it's like, we don't know he was a part of her life for so long. His his, he treated these kids in such a different way that it's like, we don't know the nature of the relationship, but like, there is just no reality where a 44 year old man and a 14 year old girl hooking up is consensual or like, okay, in any way. So obviously man of his time, but that but is doesn't story. excuse, you know, the rape doesn't, and slavery. doesn't excuse the rape, doesn't excuse the slavery. And Sally Hemings was a G and she like, and it's like really sad because she lived such an interesting life, like moved to Paris with Thomas Jefferson at the height of the revolution, like comes back, has these kids is free, like lives to see the end of like, lives to see a new nation basically. And, and we don't know anything about everything we know about her is through like her son's biography, basically. So very sad. Another silence voice of history. Um, but a little bit of good news just to end on something positive, And then I really need to plug in my computer just in case this dies. We are really in a race against time, but, um, 
but in 2018, there they um, excavated. I haven't been there since this happened, but they found where they they they're pretty sure that her room was in, and it was like kind of off a wing on Monticello, so she was not in the main building, but like was was she you know she wasn't in the slaves' quarters, and they created a whole exhibit about her life and like all the different questions and like all of the unpleasant themes that this brings up in American history. They're like addressing it more head on now in Monticello, I guess. And I really want to go and see her room. Wow. Yeah. Manifest Destiny live show. Like I mean, <laughs> live oh, show Gibson. in Jefferson cellar. I mean, if anyone's going to let us in, it's probably good. Oh, well, it's like a very snooty. Like if you're like a rich lady in Virginia and you can like scrape up some revolutionary like background, you become a quote unquote lady of Monticello. <laughs> Oh my god. Well, apparently I'm a son of the American Revolution. So oh, maybe oh, yes, sir. Like, great, 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 great something. Maybe like I can like rustle up some connections and be like, hi, I just like really want to like get to know my history better. Yes. Yes. And we're just gonna set up some podcasting equipment while we're there. Yes, yes. And it's like if a they would love people, the content. They would love the I mean, they might not love this specific content in I which mean, we're calling Thomas Jefferson a rapist <laughs> but but they might they might if I you're think, a rapist you're gonna get called a rapist it's that's on like, you that's the not the world on me. the world is changing and the monticello ladies are changing with it the ladies of monticello have acknowledged that in this new sally hemmings exhibit wow. so next time you're at a party and you don't know anyone <laughs> what i'm saying to you is tell them this tale because tell them a half hour tale about sally it has turned yeah just one straight half hour Love um it. yeah and that's that's all i have all right so thank you for listening to blair's invigorating anchor ad now that we are back it gets better every week (laughs) it gets better every week but like it gets better every segment like i am (laughs) so excited for our b segment today as much as you know sally hemmings is a compelling and sad story we've got yeah, another sad story, but like a very pivotal, very important, and mostly importantly, we've got Gibson here to yeah. take it away. And a, and a quintessentially American story. Yeah. And I I'm so excited. I am so oh excited too. I and, have been trying to get on from Manifest Destiny for probably a year now. And here we are. Well, we had to wait for Pride. We Gibson, surely did. Gibson, we surely did not. Like, I'm my <laughs> takeaway from this episode is that like maybe we're replacing Blair with you. I don't know. A few months ago, you mentioned Spanish Florida. Oh, really? oh yes. Oh, my God. We got to St. Augustine live yes. show, yes. spooky tour, yes. and yes. chat about Spanish Florida. I've oh never my been God. more that excited about anything amazing. in my life. Okay. Yes. Yeah. You're officially invited back. You're officially the third oh, co-host so of Manifest Destiny. <laughs> you're officially invited back, and you might be your new agent. You've come up with <laughs> and, like, two. You haven't even heard so my, my spiel with, yet. <laughs> yeah. And you've already, but you've already come up with two unique venues for our first live show. <laughs> Yeah, what are you doing for us, Blair? Doing the anchor ads. I'm aging. Hustling to I'm, get yeah, money. She's chilling. Really good point. Really good point, Gibson. She's I am out here. Very invested in making this her full-time job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I quit my real job. So. And honestly, Blair, I'm very invested in this becoming your full-time okay, job. Okay, well, tell a friend. It's her destiny. I am going to ride on your coattails to success. Yes, yes. I mean, your coattails now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the 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 role of pain. My amazing technical or dream coat. Yeah, yeah, yes. Oh my god, amazing. Andrew Lloyd Webber, please don't sue us. 
wild. Andrew Lloyd Webber will be on this podcast one day. Mark yes. our words. There'll be a special guest to talk about the creation so of cats. Lucky. It's going to be about T.S. Eliot and cats, and we're all going to be excited. Oh my God, that would be an incredible mm-hmm. app. Um, okay. I'll call him up. I'll say, hey, Andrew, let's see. What, 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 what can we work out? We're, we're always, yeah, he, you're our agent. You're our agent now. <laughs> it seems like you've accepted the role. You want to be <laughs> a, and more involved in the business side as well as the front-facing public side. I'm very invested in this podcast. I've told literally everyone I know that I'm going to be on this podcast. Oh so my God, yeah. If you see listenership in Florida boost. We're like, going to get why. those Gibson, we're going to get that Gibson bump, you know, when you're looking at the chart, it's going to be like, you know, we debt. haven't really like hit the Florida market yet. Like we've recently exploded in the Midwest, like both <laughs> on our website and anchor, our Midwest metrics are all of a sudden just like off the charts. I don't know if you know anyone that's listening out of the Midwest. Well, they I were the original know. destiny that was manifested. I mean, that's I think true. that's that they found like this podcast speaks to a lot of themes in their lives, but horizontal Absolutely. expansion, baby. We'll get into <laughs> it. Right. We'll get that's into right. it. All right, Gibson, take it away. Tell tell the manifestors what you're telling us about today. Yeah, so I'm going to be talking about Stonewall. Ever heard of it? Happy Pride Month. Ever heard of it? Only like the most important event in in queer history. Okay, not entirely the most important event, but but very important. Okay. Um, so there are lots of different stories about Stonewall. I feel like I've heard. That's what I love about Stonewall. Know, is that right? There's literally like so many conflicting tales. <laughs> I feel like, like the, the historians in you are going to be like, oh, yes. Like, yeah. What is history? Um, I'm ready. So the dominant narrative, I feel like up until recently, was very much June 28th, 1969. The police raid this gay bar in Manhattan called the Stonewall Inn. The patrons mm-hmm. fight back. They throw bricks. They throw bottles at the cops. And it launches the modern gay rights movement. And then I think recently there's been another narrative kind of pushing forward that when the raid happened, uh, the people who started fighting back were trans women of color, specifically oh. Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. Holy shit, I And had no both idea. of those narratives, I know, wild, right? But both of these narratives kind of have their faults. So the first one kind of centers the cis gay men and American history, right? Like you can't center the straight white men, so you got to find the closest thing. We literally uh, just did a whole idea on Thomas Jefferson. So I saw the funniest <laughs> TikTok the other day that was like when a man says he's bi everyone just assumes he's actually gay and insecure and when a woman says she's bi everyone assumes that she's just straight and wants attention and then it was like FYI <laughs> that means because we the world is operating under the assumption that everyone only wants to be with men <laughs> and I was like shit you know Blair I saw that same TikTok TikTok added again <laughs> the algorithm is very powerful the algorithm knows sometimes <laughs> yeah. the algorithm gets a little too specific I know yeah all, all right. right so I think both of these like narratives that um have kind of perpetuated the the mainstream have their faults the first one centers cis gay men like I said and the second one centers these figures who are super important to the subsequent movement but it doesn't really give a full picture of their night of involvement Um, so what really happened who led the charge Uh, and I think Stonewall gives this great example that there's it's tough to find the story when it comes to historical movements Mm -hmm. Um, especially when you have the gays involved because goodness knows we love (laughs) as a certified homosexual (laughs) certified fresh proud wild um okay so in 1969 it's a very different landscape for gay people than it is 
today. So homosexuality was still illegal in almost every state. Well, actually in every state, except for Illinois. There were anti-sodomy Shout laws. out to Illinois. I know, wild, right? Midwestern audience coming through. <laughs> our Midwestern audience is our Midwestern audience. As oh, no, it's, it's ours now. No, 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 it's ours. <laughs> You've already usurped Blair. I'll see you next week. <laughs> um, and is, like, the wild thing is that the anti-sodomy laws that like outlawed homosexuality didn't get struck down in the United States until 2003. In what? Yeah, wild. Wild. Texas still had anti-sodomy laws on the books until 2003. That's wild. That does track with Texas, though. Like, you hate to see it. Yeah. Um, And at this point in 1969, gays in the media were depicted as psychologically damaged or as sexual predators. And homosexuality was classified as a mental illness by the American Psychiatric Association. And that was only changed in 1973. So... It's no surprise that gay bars become this haven for the queer community. And the Stonewall Inn was one of those bars. Um, The Stonewall Inn was, and still is, a bar on Christopher Street in Lower Manhattan. Uh, Blair, been there. I've been there. Blair was there. Blair was an ally. I was there absolutely, absolutely ruining it for people that were there. Like, literally... Yeah. I mean, I loved it. You I were the, the straight white girl not? that walks into the bar, in the gay bar like you own no, no, the whole No, no, I mean, building. I was with several gay people, if you must know, Rebecca, if you need to check my street cred. But I will say Stonewall, ha- the beers are cheaper than like next door at Kettle of Fish. It's like- And the boys like, are cuter. And the boys are cute and they're nicer. They're not going <laughs> to ruin my life. <laughs> so it's a much They're going to ruin bar. mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know what's wild is that uh, total sidebar. Um, so I did my study abroad in France, and in the French gay bars, they will not let your group in if there are too many women in the group. That's yeah. right. I mean, French people know what's up. I sometimes I'm like, I wouldn't let myself into this yeah. bar, but I'm happy to be here. Like, thank you, sir. No, straight white <laughs> women are a scourge on the gay bar community, but you know what? We all have our nights. We all have you know what, nice. and we're happy to have you. Sometimes, right. not all the time. I mean, we're happy to have you. It's not in France. <laughs> Wait, well, manifest like... destiny live show from at a gay bar <laughs> from Stonewall. <laughs> uh, seems like a no-brainer. Manifest destiny set gay rights. I, I don't think the acoustics in Stonewall are going to be ideal for a podcast. It is essentially a windowless cave. Even though it, it is sounds like great, at, the acoustics will like, be just fine. We'll get a mixer; it'll be great. It's like echoey, but anyway. Um, so. Uh, in the summer of 1969, this is actually a super seedy bar. It's kind of a dump. It's run yeah. by the mafia, but gay bars are super they profitable. Are. So it had been a restaurant. It had gotten damaged in a fire, and it's bought by this mobster who's <laughs> called Tony Fat- Soprano. Bought <laughs> yeah, to, to, actually his name is Tony. Um, he was called Fat Tony, of course. Fat Tony. Um, Classic. No choice but to stand. No <laughs> choice but to stand, Fat Tony. Um, Fat Tony gets, is an ally. <laughs> Fat Tony said gay rights. Yes. <laughs> so it's uh, it's revamped. And uh, Fat Tony would brag that he recouped his investment in this bar within the first few hours of its reopening. So Hell super yeah. profitable bar. So if you flash forward to June 28th of 1969... Um, and I think Blair, that's cancer season, but it's cuspy, right? Um, no, June 28th, that's not even, that's full on cancer. And okay. also, also just again, 1969, summer of love, you know, Ted Kennedy also murdered someone a couple weeks later. Like that was a very like potent time in the stars. 
Like there was a lot going on. I mean, on. the summer of love. It's Woodstock. It's like, but it's Woodstock. It's you know a lot of weird, chaotic energy on Chappaquiddick. Like a lot of shit went the down. The FBI that are doing a lot of trials with LSD. Like there's just yeah, a lot. Like things were crazy. Um, yeah, no, but I think I've like done some like minor research into this. I I will follow up, but like I'm pretty sure like sat there were like multiple retrogrades happening like from major planets like Saturn, Jupiter, Venus, and like for that reason like it was People just popping off three months and it's like it's like yeah it's like for some reason like like I feel like when I think about Stonewall I'm like I don't know why that's the last drop but it fucking is I'm throwing bricks back like let's fucking go they were having their own hot girl summer yeah exactly hot girl summer 1969 that's that's was the original hot girl summer yeah let's that's get real. really really we can true. only hope to we recreate. can we can only, well i that is the said, energy we're manifesting for this summer so i've been up. saying a lot lately i've been like I feel like I grew up thinking, man, I wish I was alive during like ni- summer of 1969, like and we Woodstock. Are. And I'm like, my children are going to be rude. The fact that they were not alive during the, the, the summer of 2021, summer the summer that I got a face tattoo. <laughs> we don't know. It's so, going to be the declaration of independence. Oh yeah. my God. With the hidden map on the back. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and I think don't even bother it. declaring anything. If you're not going to put a map on the back. <laughs> That's how I feel. Wild. Um, so this this Friday night party turns into an early Saturday morning, and these plainclothes police officers come in to raid the bar. Oh. And they're part of the New York Police Department's public moral squad, which is not Get a thing out. anymore. But isn't that wild? That New York P- I mean, I'm not a moral squad. What else did and that the NYPD of all people gets to have a moral squad? Like, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, what? Well, like what else did they do morally? Like, like I'm just um, curious. They just made sure that people were, like, behaving <laughs> correctly for society. Um, trans, uh, we'll talk about it more later, but transvestitism okay. was, like, illegal in New York at the time, and so they would enforce Ugh. that. Well, um, they, they should see up. me right now, because yeah. I am dressed like a 21-year-old lacrosse player at this moment. <laughs> Male lacrosse um, player. And they would crack down on bars selling liquor illegally, and that's actually what the cover was for their crackdown on Stonewall. They okay. came in to crack down on this unlicensed bar that was selling liquor illegally but we all know why they were really there Uh um at this point gay new yorkers were getting harassed all the time they were getting harassed by uh, fellow new yorkers they were getting harassed by police and the police raid was not uncommon at these gay bars there had already been similar raids in the past two weeks and they'd permanently shut down three gay bars in the village Um, and stonewall had actually already been raided four days prior And during these raids, the staff of the bars would usually grab these cigar boxes full of cash because they weren't using registers because it was too too prominent. And they would just slip into the crowd. Um, And so the plainclothes Mm -hmm. officers were there to identify the staff. And around 1.20 in the morning, Inspector Seymour Pine and some other (laughs) officers say his name <laughs> yeah say his I name hope, i hope his granddaughter's listening i'm sorry seymour it's just seymour seymour Bucks. pine <laughs> right wow. um uh, yeah and pine is a, is a tree seymour yeah, wood maybe mm, sounds a little gay to me it's pretty gay it's pretty gay sounding for sure yeah um so seymour pine and these other officers enter and usually what would happen at these raids is they would happen early in the night so there weren't any crowds Everything would dissipate. The bar was closed for the night. It would probably reopen a little bit later in the week or next weekend or whatever. But in this case, um, Stonewall was already busy because it was one in the morning and people were partying it up. So the cops kicked the patrons out and they were corralling the employees inside the bar. And 
usually the patrons during these raids just kind of dissipate into the night, happy to not be arrested, um, maybe carry on their night elsewhere or just take it home for the evening. And uh, this time they didn't go home. They kind of gather across the street and the vibe was jovial, if a bit belligerent. They were kind of sassing the cops. And at some point the mood shifts. So there are some different accounts about what happened, but uh, numerous accounts say that the shift happened when this butch woman was getting harassed by the police. They were being rough. She was fighting back. And eventually she calls to the crowd. She says, why aren't you doing anything? Why are you just standing there? Like, do something. And that's when people start fighting back. So we don't entirely know exactly who this person was. Some people think it's uh, Stormy DeLarvery, who was the lesbian bouncer of the club. Sometimes she took credit for the role. Sometimes she denied it. But regardless, she was- <laughs> Her this... story is constantly changing. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. And she was a badass woman regardless. Okay, so love she it was born in the 1920s in New Orleans. And she oh, yeah. celebrated her birthday on December 24th, but we're not entirely certain about the actual day. So December 24th would make her Blair a- Oh, December 24th. Oh, that's a Capricorn. Interesting. I don't associate Capricorns with like fun and whimsy, but they are like their taskmasters. They're Mm. obsessed with like practicality results. Like they're very into like hierarchies and like social standing. Well, that makes sense because she was the self-appointed guardian of lesbians in the village. Oh, I love that. No choice but to stand. No No choice choice but to stand. And I love that she's self-appointed. Yeah, she had a state gun Nobody permit. gives it to you. You have to take it. You uh, have right? to become the self-appointed guardian of the village. So she had the state gun permit. And even into her 80s, she would patrol the sidewalks and check in on, her le- on like the lesbian bars. And she would call out bullying. She would call out abuse. She would make sure that everyone who was a part of her community was safe. And I just think she's like love. the coolest. Yeah. Love. So whether or not- Say it her was, name. Yeah, say her name. Stormy DeLarvery. Whether or not it was her or not, the mood shifts after this butch woman calls out to the crowd to fight back. People start throwing things. It's kind of uncertain exactly what they're throwing. Um, coins. Yeah, like, what are they grab? Oh, coins. Okay, coins, bo- like stones, bottles. Um, it's all super dicey. Oh. And like we said, people like to embellish in their oral history. <laughs> Yeah, like, um, where did you get bricks? <laughs> just get... those loose city bricks. Right? Yeah, like... We're not entirely sure if bricks were thrown at all. We'll find out. Maybe. Oh Who God, knows? Amazing. And this is where Sylvia Rivera comes in. So she is sometimes credited as the person who threw the first bottle. Um, and in 2001, she remarks, kind of tongue-in-cheek, she says, I've been given credit for throwing the first Molotov cocktail, but I always like to correct it. I threw the second one. I didn't throw the first one. It's obviously a joking comment. It's not actually clear whether any Molotov cocktails were actually thrown. I mean, it's also just like, I don't know. It's just like, you're out, you're drunk. Like, I don't know how to make a Molotov cocktail. I'll just say it. Like, I'm, I'm about to be 30 years it's old. Alcohol and, and fire. And it's just alcohol. So you just, and a rag. I think and you need a rag. rag. You, you need a whip. Rag. Like, some That's sort all of, like, you t-shirt. need? That's it, baby. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to end up on a list somewhere. <laughs> you heard it here first. Manifest Destiny gets shut down by the FBI. 
I'm I'm already yeah I mean if we're gonna get shut down by anyone who wanted to be the fucking feds come for me <laughs> but okay that's good to, okay so so I guess hypothetically you would you would have that knowledge of how to make an actual Molotov maybe cocktail. I mean and maybe it was just coins maybe it was a bottle maybe Sylvia Rivera <laughs> was the first person to throw things maybe she wasn't we don't entirely know but regardless she's an important figure so let's talk about her um she was born on July 2nd of 1951 oh in the God. Bronx and was assigned male at birth was orphaned as a toddler and was raised by her grandmother. And at 11, she runs away from home. She's initiated into sex work and she's living- At 11? A, at a, a, well- Jesus. Around that time. At 11, she Ugh. runs away from home. It's not entirely clear when she's initiated into sex work. Um, yo, people are terrible. What? Fucked up. Yeah. Um, And when she's living on the streets, she's welcomed by a group of drag queens. First, she becomes a drag queen. Uh, Later in life, she identifies as transgender, but allegedly she doesn't really like labels in general. Um, So when Stonewall happened, uh, Sylvia Rivera was 17. Oh my God. I know. A child. A whole child. A child leading a movement. Yes. Um, and in the uh, aftermath of Stonewall, she co-founds the Street Transvestites Action Revolutionaries, um, acronym STAR, uh, because as we, we talked about- I love a good acronym. Right, That's we a love great a good one. acronym. Um, transvestitism was illegal in New York. Uh, and so during these raids, the standard procedure of cops was to question cross-dressing patrons about their clothing. And you had to be wearing at least three gender appropriate articles of clothing. Um, and sometimes, uh, these patrons were subjected to anatomical inspections. Oh no. Which is terrible, but also seems familiar based on current legislation against trans athletes in schools. Go all the way up. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about it. There are some really problematic laws in states happening right now. Florida, Ron DeSantis. I mean, Ron DeSantis, throw the whole man out. Like hot mess. Feed him to the gators. Mm. the worst wow the worst um no choice but to not stand yeah cancel no choice but to cancel in the strongest of terms trash truly um so the the star organization star served as a collective and a shelter for trans people they would share food and money and resources and another co-founder of star and another important stonewall veteran was marsha p johnson yes so who's Marsha P. Johnson, uh, born on August 24th, 1945. Leo? Uh, you know, huge Leo. You know, it's got that Leo energy. And it's also kind of like... I could have guessed that she was a Leo. That's also right on the cusp, too, because... Heading towards Virgo. Heading My towards sign. Virgo, which I think is, like, very important because Leos has the, have the charisma and, like, the passion. And they're, like, such... They're so into attention and, like melding the world to their vision and then i think virgos very specifically have like a plan like they have like actually every single step planned out so like i think that's a very impactful cusp is like a like a virgo leo cusp yeah like the true leaders of the world wait this is just a side question before we get into marcia p johnson so when you're saying transvestite like is is the term transgender even really around at this time like is is it just Mm, if you're trans you're transgender you're transvestite yeah so like Drag queen, cross-dresser, transvestite, transsexual, transgender really wasn't a thing, I don't think. Um, it's all sort of dicey. And so for, like, for Sylvia Rivera, like, she later identified, I, I believe, what did I say? Yeah, later identified as transgender, but didn't love labels. Um, so, like, 
she, her pronouns, super clear for Sylvia yeah. Rivera. Marsha P. Johnson, kind of unclear. She okay. self-identified as a drag queen. And so, like, at the time, was there really language? Yeah. Most news outlets and the Marsha P. Johnson Institute used she, her pronouns. Um, but to say, like, Marsha P. Johnson was a trans woman of color is, we don't really know, because... Um, Things have changed a lot since then. For the better, I mean. Is she no longer alive? No longer alive. No longer what, alive. When did she die? She was, how um, old was she then? So she, it's uh, actually kind of sad. Yeah, it's um, very sad. So she oh, died on July 6th of 1992. Uh, the New York Police Department at the time presumed it to be a suicide. Um, <gasps> they later reopened the case at the urging of a friend, I think in the 2012 it was. Um, <gasps> it was more likely than not murder. What? Yeah. yeah, I mean, violence against trans women. I mean, I think we what should maybe do a whole ID, like an unsolved mystery ID about this, because like I have lots of true crime thoughts on this. No and like idea. definitely a murder. Rebecca's always trying to turn this into a true crime project. <laughs> I am. <laughs> wow. That's because there's a park right by my house, like the Marsha P. Johnson Park. I think it was called something else until like this year, and they are making it like so gay like it's i'm so pumped as like, it's, well it's they literally should. like it's like this giant ass field that's just gonna be a straight up rainbow it's like hanging poppers from every tree like no i i will post a picture of like the plans like they're still working on it but like people are like okay this is a lot but like i'm feeling it like it, like wait so what was the cause of death that it looked like a suicide i have i i'm not entirely sure but like i don't think the yeah, nypd really wanted to investigate yeah. oh, we jets. gotta do a follow-up id and marshall we will Johnson. do a, we'll do a follow-up id go on according to marcia the p stood for pay it no mind which is what marcia <laughs> would say in response to questions about her gender yeah. um like rivera she engaged in sex work and also once in the 1970s she was shot like wild um so she was a self-identified identified drag queen and uh, some credit Johnson as throwing the first brick at Stonewall and starting off the rebellion. But like Blair alluded to, Johnson herself acknowledged uh, that she was <laughs> uptown and did not get downtown until about two o'clock. Uh, and the place was already on fire and it was already a raid. So, But uh, I did hear that when she got there, she was like, yo, we're rioting. I love I it. I mean, I would not be surprised. <laughs> love this for us. Um, definitely seems like that Leo Virgo cusp energy. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnson and Rivera were super close friends and uh, they co-founded Star uh, together mm-hmm. and so Johnson and Rivera kind of seem to be in today's zeitgeist uh, emerging as the icons of Stonewall uh, but their leadership in the larger gay and trans rights movement that followed was far more impactful uh, they were on the front lines of the subsequent fights and they really pushed the movement for queer rights into its next phase And I think it's super interesting because it opens up a conversation of which stories we want to tell, how we want to write our history. Um, So Sylvia Rivera may have launched the riot. That's unclear. Marsha P. Johnson, like, probably did not. Openly did not. Yeah. So the (laughs) narratives that center Johnson as the figurehead of Stonewall, and even while that's pretty clearly untrue, I think that discredits the totality of those narratives. And as a result, it discredits credits the actual amazing work that Johnson and Rivera did in the aftermath of Stonewall to push that gay and trans rights movement forward. Wow. So that's we're kind of so well history. Well, thank you so much. I took a lot of time to figure out how to phrase it. Wow. I have like wow. real chills. Damn. Um, and I think that like 
in Pride Month, you'll probably see a lot of posts shared about Marcy P. Johnson, and now you'll be looking at them being like, hmm, that information is not entirely true. You don't have the Um, whole story. Yeah. But I really like your point about like how it invalidates the real work that Marsha P. Johnson did after the fact. Like I think a lot of the times with history, we get wrapped up in the flash in the pan moments and forget the people that were actually doing like the legislative difficult work after the fact. And, yeah. Like, that's maybe not as exciting and sexy, but it's like absolutely what moves the needle in terms of progress and change. So shout putting out. Putting their lives on the line day after day after day. Yeah. Um, and sacrificing your life. popular in public opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I have two questions. Number one, like, obviously the cops were being terrible, like, and were just consistently terrible to like gay people in New York and everywhere up to this point. What was like the like public sentiment, like in the village in the sixties, was it just much like, was it, was it as accepting as like, I'm assuming it is just being like, nobody cares about anything. I did not do a ton of research into like the public sentiment in the village specifically across the country. I don't believe it was like super accepting. Yeah. I think even in New York, cause there were still anti-sodomy laws on the books in New York uh-huh. at the time. Um, so, I mean, I don't think it was quite as progressive. Well, obviously it was not as progressive as New York is now. Yeah. Um, I think that New Yorkers were harassing gay people on the streets. There was definitely that mentality that gay people were mentally ill and like pedophiles, um, which is still unfortunately like a narrative that perpetuates today. Um, but yeah, public opinion, not super great. I think probably better than other places in the country, but I'm not entirely positive. I did not research that specifically. Yeah. I mean, I'm, and I don't want to mislead sh- our manifestors. The manifestors are misled routinely. So. <laughs> okay. And then my question yeah, the, the manifestors, they're they used to it. It's they fine. They come for the verification. No, <laughs> but they're not here for that. Oh, you mean I didn't have to spend like seven hours fact checking this? Yeah. Um, no. no. You didn't. We're glad you did. We're glad it, you it, did. It reflects yeah. well on us, but it sure yeah. does. But okay. And then my other question is like, typically when these raids would happen was it just like they routed everybody up closed the club and then like just forced everyone home or were there like arrests and then like I don't know I just feel like it's like did you bribe people typically it's like how did gay bars even exist other than the fact that they had mob muscle I guess which is a good answer I'm not entirely sure again I think so I do know that like when the raids would happen there were sometimes arrests I think a a lot of times raids would happen earlier in the night there was smaller crowds it was easier for the police to manage and also, like, people were not fighting back um, because yeah. the, the police looked at these, like, gay men, lesbian women, queer people in general, and they were like, oh, like, they're sissies, they're fairies, like, what kind of muscle do they have? We can do whatever we want. I'm not entirely sure about, like, the mob muscle, the bribery. I imagine there was probably bribery going yeah. on. Um, but a lot of these venues were, I don't think that you could get a liquor license as a gay bar. Um, a lot of these gay bars and Stonewall was one of these that was operating under like a private club. And so they were selling liquor, but they didn't really have a license. And so that's why the cops were raiding the, that's mm-hmm. quote unquote, why the cops were raiding them. But that's we all like know why the cops were, were really raiding them. Yeah. Um, because they were jealous so, of all the fun. Yeah. Jealous of all the fun and the great music and the uh, super Especially Seymour men. Pine. Yes. Yeah, Seymour Pine. Seymour he was Pine. looking to Seymour Pine. Yeah. Um, okay. Great answers. But like, I don't, I mean, I guess I'm just like a helpless person, but I'm like, how did you, I mean, it would be weird if you knew the answer to this question, but I'm just like, how would you know where to go? Is it just word of mouth? If you were gay, were you just like walking around hope, like hoping? I mean, I don't think that things were super like 
under underground. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm like only that. at, well, like Stonewall is like kind of it's subterranean, there. but it's like, it, it it's like kind of street level, but oh. like, Oh, like you have to go underneath to like a basement? Not like underneath, but you just have to like go a little bit. Like it definitely makes sense. You're saying it was like the basement area of like an existing club that didn't have a liquor license. But I'm just wondering, like, how would you just like stumble in? Well, I also think like the windows were like boarded up and things. So like it was hard to like, but I imagine word of mouth, like people love to talk if you're looking for something. And it's like a smaller community of like out gay men, I'm sure. So you'd be like, I know where to go. The ballroom okay. scene was, you know, prolific in getting the word out. I, I definitely. I would think, yeah. yeah. The ballroom scene. Oh yeah, oh, that's we have Blair. to do an identification. Like Blair, do we have Paris to? Is like, burning? yeah, Blair. Have you never seen? Oh my Paris god, is burning. That's destiny. No, Blair. I assumed it was about Paris. No, oh, Blair. No, you know me. I won't watch anything about Paris. <laughs> have you ever seen Pose? No. Oh my God, Blair! We have to. Blair, are you even an ally? Yeah, Blair. This is, well, this is the perfect. I'm I've been to Stonewall two times. Yeah, like Blair, are you homophobic? Okay, like... I want to watch Pose. I, I yeah, no, okay, I want to watch Pose. But okay, I'm but just... actually, Paris is burning. So you know that, like the um, uh, the queen who describes like what opulence is. Yes. So she, when she died, she told a friend to go into her closet and uh, open up and like take whatever she wanted because. You know, there's a ton of great stuff. Because drag's expensive. And that sure. friend goes <laughs> to the closet, finds a locked chest, opens it up, and finds a mummified corpse. Oh my god. What? It was probably like a trick gone wrong where like someone came over, was super aggressive, like mm. Oh my god. And they don't entirely but how know did it get mummified? Was. I think that this 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 drag queen was like had had probably in self-defense killed this man and was like okay the police sure aren't gonna believe me yeah so we're gonna hide this body away and hope that no one comes to notice wow wild wow so you need to watch paris's burning blair okay okay well that that's our official that's our official homework for the week i'm gonna watch paris's burning this weekend so after all these like fun little asides about the different mm-hmm. players in Stonewall, and there are obviously more that like who has who has the time? Who has uh, the time? I mean, Manifest Destiny does have the time. We do. Future IDs. I'm just yeah. really trying to get brought back as a guest. Uh huh. Uh huh. The people demand it. Um, when you see those anchor ads really start paying off, you'll know. You'll know why. You'll know where it I'll came from. Yeah. I'll yep. know why for sure. Um, so back to the night of. So the Stonewall patrons, where we left off, were fighting back against the cops. They're rioting, they're rebelling, they're revolting, whatever word you want to use. They start throwing things at the cops, and at one point they push over a cop car. Oh boy. The cops retreat into the bar because that's the safest place for them at that moment. And they get trapped in the bar they're trying to raid. Yes. Um, Some people eventually pull a parking meter out of the ground and are using it as a battering ram. To get into the bar? To get into the bar. (gasps) Some people, uh, someone lights the plywood covered window on fire and people are like lighting things on fire and putting them in like through the windows. So the bar's on fire. The cops are cornered inside. Inspector Seymour Pine, (laughs) he's sneaking a policewoman out of a back window to call for help. Wow. Because the cops never expected this community to rise up and fight back because they were like oh man like all these fairies what are they gonna do so a lot of trucks and riot police arrive and they're trying to clear the block there are reports that at some point in the night patrons form a kick line 
Uh, which Shut is the fuck up. up like a Rockettes level kick line. A Rockettes. A Rockettes. I <laughs> mean, that's what it was. Oh, oh, a Rockettes level. Is like, that my drag name? Rockettes. <laughs> Please welcome the stage, Rockettes. You do have the right. Re- you do have the legs for Rebecca. I will say that. Thank you have you. lovely legs. And um, so by 4 a.m., the streets are mostly cleared. And the Times headline the next day, because the Times is not particularly woke at that point, is four <laughs> policemen are hurt in a village raid wow gross no thank you um and the it's next what night, they deserved right? was the content of the article more specific though like was it like this was a gay they talked bar about raid? It. yeah they talked about the content but it was definitely focused on like the police who are trying to do their jobs and cracked on an illegal activity um wow. anyway we do not stand um, love that. And the next right night, the riots start again. So Sunday night, the riots are back up. And by Monday and Tuesday, things are starting to trickle out, partially due to some not great weather. But at this point, the movement's been launched. So in the aftermath of Stonewall, the Gay Liberation Front, the GLF forms, and they intentionally use the word gay, which had been avoided in names in these previous iterations of queer-centered organizations. And the Gay Liberation Front described themselves as a militant coalition of radical and revolutionary homosexual men and women committed to fighting the oppression of the homosexual as a minority group and to demand the rights to the self-determination of our own bodies. Yes. Um, And they hold demonstrations after Stonewall capitalizing off of the momentum of the the riots. Um, And uh, Sylvia Rivera and Marshall P. Johnson are involved in the GLF and other organizations that emerged after. Um, And then a year later, the GLF and these other organizations, they joined together for the Christopher Street Liberation Day March, which was New York's first Pride March. Wow. Um, And at the same time, there were marches around the world. So the Stonewall riot, rebellion, whatever you want to call it, was the start of the modern gay rights movement in the United States. It was in your face. It was unapologetically queer. And later, Sylvia Rivera reflects on the movement saying, quote, we were the frontliners. We didn't take no shit from nobody. We had nothing to lose. Wow. So a pretty impressive stuff. Um, Sylvia Rivera dies of liver cancer in February of 2002 at age 50. Marsha P. Johnson, as we talked about, dies in July of 1992, likely a murder. Um, And Stormy DeLarvery, she dies on May 24th of 2019 at 93 after suffering a heart attack. Stormy. Um, Okay. Well, shout out to Stormy. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty long life. Um, in 2015, Stonewall Inn was made a national, or was made a New York City landmark, and that was the first time that a site had been named primarily because of the significance in lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender New York history. Yes. Um, and then on June 24th of 2016, Governor Cuomo hmm, designated oh. the Stonewall Inn <laughs> as a state historic site, and then in June of 2016, President Obama designates the Stonewall National Monument as the 412th National Park site and the first US national monument chosen specifically for LGBT history. And then in 2019, the NYPD apologizes for their actions that night. Oh, in 2019? A rare police apology way too late and after the fact, but you know what? Are we surprised? Maybe. Um, So Stonewall is still open. Uh, You can go there and drink as Blair knows. We need some uh, boots on the ground reporting. 
Um, so Stonewall is like the event that launches the modern gay rights movement. It kind of continues on, eventually form, kind of evolves with uh, AIDS and HIV AIDS into the, the like ACT UP movement. And then yep. later the gay rights movement has like other iteration in terms of like fighting for gay marriage and say, or same sex marriage and that level of equality. And who knows what, who knows what's next? What's in um, store? I, I, what's in store? Um, because we are here and we're queer and get used to and it. And this is the summer of fun. Like we are ready. Summer of fun. And that's okay. Stonewall Uprising. Yes. And that's yes. on Stonewall. Oh my God. Gibbs and things. Oh wait. Okay. Wait. So let's consolidate before we sign off our further reading on this. Yes. Thank you, Blair. You're welcome. Um, well, I would say one of my favorite books on this, um, The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay is about um, like this group of gay friends in Chicago in the early 80s, like kind of dealing with the AIDS crisis. But there's a lot of like echoes of Stonewall. And they talk a lot about like Stonewall and what the movement has meant for like the community moving forward and how that affected the way they responded to AIDS. Um, so would highly recommend that. Also very, very sad, but amazing. All right. Yo, Gibson? I would be so down to, to come back and talk about the AIDS epidemic. I mean, oh my God. bleak, oh my God. Yes. sad, tragic. Bleak, sad. I mean, you're talking to girls who are like trying to put Columbine yeah. on the old. Yeah, we're <laughs> like trying to figure thing. out how to do Columbine, Columbine tastefully and it's not working out. Yeah, it's t- well, I mean, like you were talking about earlier, awkward laughter when it comes to, yes, to very we, sad things does we not do go do well it. on a podcast. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I just think preface it by knowing I'm deeply disturbed when I'm yeah. laughing. Like yeah. I, I only laugh when I'm. But you sad. do need to clarify that for like our three German listeners, just to make sure like their stoicism <laughs> isn't. Um, well, I mean, maybe the Germans get it more than anybody else. Shout out to German people. I think they probably get they, it. They do probably Schadenfreude and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. I would say if you're looking for some further reading, the New York Times last year published a book. Uh, it was like uh, Pride, the last 50 years, because last year was the 50th anniversary of uh-huh. Stonewall. Uh-huh. Yes. And it's like a collection of articles and pictures. Yes. Really talking about like the movement from Stonewall to the present day. Oh, wow. Super interesting to see like how reporting has changed over time, how like the movement has evolved over time um, and lots of like cool historical pictures um which would be perfect wow. for the manifest in the yeah i mean we've Ooh, got a website now too so we'll you have a website it. now wait what oh my uh, god Gibson, plug that have website. you listened to our season premiere we yeah. have a Gibson, website clearly and not but i built a whole website it's but fun. like rebecca manifest like destinypod.com podcast pod is already owned we get into it in the first episode of the season yeah we i listened to it how did i not remember this Wow. Maybe skipped over the ad. Maybe when you were pressing 15 <laughs> over and over again. Welcome it. to Manifest Destiny, a millennial look at the American millennium. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, we there's a whole website. It. We'll get all the recs up there. We'll get the resources. We'll become allies. Where's like, the merch? Exactly. I mean, um, let me tell you, I started a shop and then there's this website where you can like set up merch buying through them, but they take all the money. And Yo, know. I'm just saying, I want a shirt that says Manifest Destiny through the first brick at Stonewall. I mean, we can't take wow. the credit, but maybe. I would love that. I mean, I, yeah, I'm all down for merch. I just think we just need to like manif. We just need to really manifest our numbers. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we just need streams. I feel okay. like Gibson's gonna get us hot in the Gibson's South Florida market. Central hot. Florida is not gonna know what hit them. Uh, they really won't. 
for their Spanish Florida episode whenever we deliver it. Like that's for you. I okay. I love how on this website and the meet your host. There's a picture of you, but your faces are both covered. Yeah, yeah. We're um, we're, we're very we're very anonymous. private and mysterious people, Gibson. Obviously, Absolutely. that's part of the appeal. It is. But isn't part of the appeal. isn't the website anyone. isn't the website like comically good? Like it's so, like I love like it. Rebecca's secretly been slaving away learning how to embed I things into a it. website and code. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Venmo me for that. But it's um, and have yeah. I done it? No. I'm I mean, not. this senior prom pic is so cute. Rebecca, I love your senior prom dress. Thanks, girl. I love um, it. What am I? I mean, your dress is beautiful too. Um, <laughs> Look at my fishtail braid. Blair and I took most of our prom pictures together at both proms. Like there are multiple <laughs> separate proms where we're posing with our advisor. Well, I went to seven proms. Oh my God. We, we went to a lot. Yeah. We also went to I a lot. It was a very non-threatening date. <laughs> Oh I, would God, I wish it. we could go to prom together. I tried well, to take my 27-year-old gay friend to my junior prom and people were like, no. <laughs> That's really funny. How did you have a 27-year-old gay friend I when you were in junior? I was deep in the competitive ballroom dancing world in uh, high school. It's fine. So ballroom I had like- Ballroom dancers are gay. Well, this is just to close the loop on that. Weddings are the new prom and Gibson and I immediately identified each other as two people who would die rather than not produce the best hinge photo of all time absolutely <laughs> when so i came, was like so, get me in this life get yeah. me like what about some of the older Blair took some iconic iconic like iconic and when i tell you they're on my dating apps currently and oh yeah um, they are really getting some responses and like, they get responses follow, subscribe. Are like oh hello sir Grindr, hinge what else we got like everything all everything. of the above truly we said hot girl summer we are manifesting ourselves Did we stutter? a boyfriend no yeah. We yeah, did we're not. We're manifesting it all. We're manifesting it all. It's it's all happening. I am on my thirtieth trip around the moon, starting oh my to, God. around the around sun. the moon. <laughs> and it's the around moon. the moon. If you're around Blair, the nature, Tom. around the moon. <laughs> I'm very clued into the moon. Gibson also. with the one liners, like this. yeah, I know. Jesus, Gibson. Okay, well, Gibson, thank you so much okay. for joining us. This we is will be so back fun. so soon. This was Please. a lovely evening. It was funny because someone texted my friend Amy texted me being like wait what, what t minus one day what are you doing before your birthday and I was like currently recording a podcast oh with Grace's brother and having the time of my goddamn life <laughs> like don't iconic. worry about me iconic. iconic I'm so excited to see what title of app is um <laughs> I write the I write the captions. So. I do everything else, but Blair does write the captions. <laughs> but I write the captions like and she like, poorly crops memes on Instagram, and I text her I be like, "How drunk are you right now? Like these are the worst memes I've ever seen. It's fine." Um, when is this dropping? I mean, I imagine Tuesday. Tuesday. Have to, Tuesday. <gasps> I'm so oh my excited. god! Yeah, Tuesday. No. I'm so excited too. Am I okay. going to listen to myself in my car? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Gibson, again, thank you so much. Do you want to do you want to do the signature by? Oh, as our my guest? God. Yes. Do the celeb. <clears throat> I'm ready. Bye. Thank you for listening to Manifest Destiny, a millennial take on the American millennium. If you enjoyed our show, please leave us a positive review on your preferred podcast platform, but only if you enjoyed it. Looking for a history fix in between episodes of Manifest Destiny? Be sure to follow us on Instagram at ManifestDestinyPod or visit us online at www.ManifestDestinyPodcast.com.